So, I guess to kind of open this up, I want to start, you know, t- by saying that there's some things that we, we know when we read the Bible. There's things that we, we definitely can draw out and see that these are, these are going to be patterns for our lives. And when it comes to trials and, you know, adversity and difficult situations that we run into, one of the things that we know is that if we start walking into a place of sin, if we start going in a direction that is willingly outside the will of God and basically being rebellious and disobedient to things that we know we should walk in, but we just choose to do things a different way, choose to do things our own way. Um, when we do that, we know that we can expect to see calamity, problems, ultimately just things that will bring destruction into our lives. The Bible talks in a lot of places about how as if, if those who sin will, be, you know, will lead, be led into destruction. And so that word sin in, in a lot of cases means to be like in a habitual pattern of sin. It means to continue walking down that road again and again and again. Um, and then as we do that, it says it'll bring destruction, meaning sin ultimately just destroys every part of our lives. And if we continue to get caught up in it and it just gets a hold of us, that it will bring great harm, destruction. It will create all kinds of issues and problems in our lives that none of us want to see. But we know um, that the flesh is something that can lead us in that direction if the spirit isn't ruling the flesh. We see in the Old Testament many times that Israel, you know, becomes rebellious towards God. They won't worship him. They'll worship other idols. They'll get into all kinds of immorality. They'll do all these things and they'll just gradually walk more and more and more and more away from God. And then as they do, it's like, everything continues to deteriorate more and more and more and more and, and unravel and become very destructive in all of society until finally at some point it's so bad that people finally wake up and realize, oh my gosh, we need God <laughs> to come in and save the day. We need God. We need to turn back to him. And then boom, as soon as they repent, they turn back to the Lord and turn away from their wickedness. What happens? God heals their land. He restores their land. He restores that nation. And so that's something we know is that if we keep walking in this place of disobedience willfully, that it will bring a lot of problems, a lot of trials, a lot of harm in our lives. But let me ask you this. What about a different situation. What about when you're walking in the will of God? What about when you're obeying Him? You're seeking Him. You're, you're following Him the best way you know how. You really believe that He's leading you and you're following in obedience. You're doing all this, but it still seems like things are happening, things are going wrong, problems are still coming up. Can anybody testify to that? You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this, God. I'm going to follow you now. And I don't know why we think this, but maybe we get kind of caught up in this illusion that like, okay, now everything's just going to be great. Everything's just going to be perfect. Now I'm going to follow God and forget about all the problems because I'm just going to be problem-free now, baby, you know. But it just doesn't work that way, does it? 
And how do we reconcile that? How do we account for that? Because this isn't, these aren't those trials and those problems and those afflictions that are coming upon us that we can just look and say, oh, there's a pattern of sin in someone's life. No wonder things are befalling upon them. These are people walking in obedience to God. These are people wanting God's will for their life, seeking it, abandoning their own desires to pursue His, but somehow things are still happening that are creating affliction and problems that we're walking through, how do we account for that and reconcile that as believers because we want to pursue God's will for us, but we know that these are still things that we have to be prepared for? Well, we know obviously that the Bible says that through suffering and through pain and through affliction that God can actually produce his perfect work in us. There's something about adversity and difficulty, pressure under fire that allows God to do a work on the inside of us that he can't do if everything is just perfect and we're in this total place of like not having to really think about or worry about anything at all. Because when pressure's on and fire's burning, it really causes us to be kept in the hands of God so that we're sculpted and moldable in a way that we can't be if we're not. And so we know that there's a work being done in us. But I also want to present this other vantage point to you today, that there's way more happening outside of just our own lives that God is up to in the big grand scheme of things that's about building his kingdom and about having his plan. There's a plan that God has for all of our lives, but then there's kind of like God's perfect plan overall to just bring as many people into relationship and into his kingdom as we possibly can. So what's happening in my life, successes, failures, problems, afflictions, everything that is happening in my life, it's actually so much bigger than how it just affects me. There's so much more that's going on than just how all of these circumstances and these issues are affecting just me and what's going on in my own personal walk with God. And if we can actually see that, if we can step back and realize that there's all these other you know, little tangencies of the plan that are going on, it starts to make a little bit more sense like, okay, my life is affecting a lot of other lives. My walk is touching a lot of other walks. So these things that might be happening to me that are creating difficulties are actually putting me in position or actually putting me in places that I just probably wouldn't put myself in. I wouldn't choose that, but God is allowing me to be put in places where he can then use me, where my life can do something to touch, to rub, to affect someone else's life that God very much wants to reach. And listen, I have learned this with with God. It is such a powerful thing that he will go to the links of the earth to reach one lost soul. He will move and shake the earth if he can reach one unbeliever who is crying out for God. Who are you? Make yourself real. Show yourself to me. I'm ready to turn away from this life and give up. I can't do it anymore on my own. God will move the earth to put somebody in position to be able to reach one lost and dying soul who needs Jesus. If that's the case, if God will do all of that, it starts to make things seem a little bit more 
um, to, to, to make a little bit more sense in the fact that, wow, I'm going through a lot of difficulties along this road of following God, but at the same time, he's able to use me. I'm getting put in unique positions that I would classify as inconvenient and difficult. I would never choose for myself, but because I'm able to be there, God can still use me to reach someone who's out there crying out for him, and God says, okay, I've got somebody I can use. I've got somebody I can send. I've got somebody I can put in their path who will show me, show them my love and will reflect who I am so they can see the mess, get the message that they need to get. So just do this. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 15. And I want to kind of dig in here first. And Jesus speaks of two parables back to back. Now, that's pretty important because he doesn't talk like that a lot. He'll give a parable, he'll move on, he'll give a parable, he'll give some explanation, he'll give a parable, then another parable. There's different ways that he does it, but it's not very often that he gives two parables back to back that are actually saying the same thing or communicating, conveying the same truth, and this is one of those cases. So in verse uh, 4, he says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Moving into verse 8, or switching to another parable here, back to back, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you, God, to speak to us clearly today, God. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to feel your direction and leading in everything that happens here God, just help me to get out of the way so that you can do what you want to do here this morning. We are confident in this thing that you desire to speak to us and bring a fresh word and revelation to us this morning, and we just thank you and glorify you for everything that you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus gives these two parables back to back, and the the gist of these stories is this, that that there's a hundred sheep, a hundredfold And one of the fold is lost. One of the fold is erring. He sees these 10 coins, and one of the coins is lost. And the work is all about reaching the lost one. And then when the lost one is reached, there is rejoicing that we get a picture. It's like all of the 
angel orchestra in heaven is just clamoring and praising and singing hallelujah. That's why when we do uh, a, a call you know, to repentance and a call to salvation in our services and who here needs to receive Christ, who here needs to give their life to the Lord, and people do that and they give their life to him that day, it's such a momentous moment because in the spiritual realm, you've got to see beyond the natural that literally because of what the word of God says here, we know that there's this picture that all of heaven and all of the angels are literally rejoicing over one lost soul who has given their life to Christ. Because that's another person who now is going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus and for all of, for all of eternity, it's not even time, and instead of spending it obviously in the place of a lake of fire. And so it's, it's a great rejoicing moment. And if God's heart is that towards his children, if that's what's happening in heaven, how much how much the same should that be the way that we view things and that we see things through our, the lens of our own eyes? God is going to the links of the earth to reach one lost person. He's saying, look, never mind about the 99 who are good. It's a, there's this one lost one, and we're going to go all the way to do whatever we can to try to reach this one lost one so that we can bring them back or so that we can bring them into the fold. And so we think, you know, God, use me, and I, wanna, I want you to do things in my life. I want you to use me to, to impact the world and, and to reach people, and that's huge. I think all of our lives, every one of us who call Christ our Lord and Savior, that is part of the mission that we become, that we, that we get set on, right? Jesus said, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, well, look, there's two parts to the equation. Are you following Jesus? Have you chosen to follow him? Well, guess what? He wants to make you fishers of men. That's part of the deal, you know? He wants to use your life. He wants to use my life to reach other lives. We're vessels. We're conduits for the saving power of God. We're not the source. We're a carrier. And so God wants to use us to be able to reach some of these other lost and hurting people who are out there. And we want to serve him. We want to make you know, our lives be as impactful as they can. But here's the thing that I've learned is before we are going to be able to be used by God in such a way that's going to bring massive impact, it's going to reach tons of people's lives, we, our heart has to really first be just like the heart of Jesus is here, that we are hurting and breaking for one single lost person that we would be willing to be totally disrupted, totally inconvenienced, our lives totally just kind of thrown out of whack from what we like is the nice little arrangement of things. We're willing to just be completely overturned, disrupted in our situation, our convenience, so that one lost person could possibly be reached by what God is doing through us. If, if that isn't our heart, then God needs to produce that in us. Because he's, he's saying here in these parables, he's saying, look, it's about all of them, but it's about one. It's just as much about one as it is about all. And until our heart is breaking and our heart is open to just literally say, God, use me and do whatever you want to do in me and through me so that 
one person could be affected. Well, guess what? When one person can be reached because we are our posture and our leaning is that we will allow God to do whatever he needs to do so that we can be put in a situation for one person to be affected by our life, then God says, okay, you got it now. Okay, you understand. You're hurting for one lost sheep. You're ready to go to the ends of the earth for one lost person, for one person that I want to get to. Now you've got the heart of Jesus. I can use you to reach more and more and more. And so here's the thing that we're as people, that happens is that we kind of, we get an order to things. We get a, you know, kind of a structure to our lives. All right, things are in place, and I got this going on, I got that, this is where I'm going to be here, and, and, I, and that's all great. I'm not saying that that's wrong. We need to be kind of ordered in our steps, but there can be a sense to that order and a sense to that design of our own hands that does not leave room that does not allow for the interruptions and for the disruptions that are needing to happen so that God can put us in places that, guys, literally, we would never put ourselves in our, in our own desires. There, there's divine appointments that God wants to make for you. But listen, there are a lot of those divine appointments that you would never pick the person, you would never pick the time, you would never pick the situation. You just wouldn't do it, and God knows that, and so he's saying, okay, that's all right, but I still want to get you there. I still want to put you there. I still want you to be the one I use in that situation. The only difference about this thing is I can't show you that I need you to do that. I'm just going to have to allow circumstances to get you there, but listen, it's good because I trust you, and I know you can endure, and I know that you can have the faith, and you can present a reflection of me where it's most needed in that moment because it's really all about this other person. It's really not about you anyway and what's going on. Isn't that something? So, so listen, we see, this, we see this happening all throughout Paul's life. Now, Paul was just, he was an amazing example of this because really, he never lived for himself. I mean, he struggled in the flesh like we all do, okay, of course, but he was literally just being totally inconvenienced all the time. He was, things were happening to him that, guys, we would never, ever willfully put ourselves in those positions, but when he gets there and he's in this place, God uses him to reach like one person. And then that one person, their whole family gets touched. And then a whole community gets touched. And then a church emerges that begins to spread the gospel throughout all of that land. And you can do the backtracking and go all the way back to a point where a guy named Paul is totally inconvenienced, disrupted, put in harm's way, and is not in a desirable situation. But he overlooks that to see and look, God, where is the work that I'm to do? Where is, the, where is the one that you want me to reach? And because that is his mentality, God uses him to do something in the middle of his affliction. It, could it be that our affliction has absolutely nothing to do with us at all? It actually just has everything to do with getting us in a position and in a place that we wouldn't put ourselves because God's desperately trying to reach someone who's lost who he needs to reach. Wow, that changes everything. It changes everything because now I can live and I can go forward and I can see when things are happening. Oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Now the car just broke down. The air conditioner went out in the same week. Are you 
freaking kidding me? Like, when is this going to end, God? Seriously? Oh, well, you're actually going to go and you're going to see somebody at the car repair shop that I really want you to see, and I'm actually going to bring this repair guy to your house to work on the heating and air conditioning. Oh, by the way, did you remember I'm the provider of everything? So I got you covered, um, but I want you to meet this guy. I want you to meet this repairman because he's hurting. He's depressed. He's down. Like He's in anguish in his soul, and he just needs to feel my love, and there's nobody where he works that can give him that right now. I need to get him to you because you have that. It, would it be okay, right? It's like, oh, all of a sudden, if we could really see the way God sees, I think it would actually change everything. But we, get, we, get, we go through these things in these trials, and we say, why, God? Why is this happening? You've got to be kidding me again. Not, you know, and so, and, and, but at the same time, because of all of these things that are happening in our lives, we're just being nudged, moved. A little bit in this direction, a little bit in that direction. We're in certain environments and certain circumstances that if we were just picking the place and the time and the audience and the people ourselves, listen, it just wouldn't work out the way God has planned. And so we resign ourselves to this, to his sovereignty and to this place of surrender that says, okay, God, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to do it unconditionally. I'm going to serve you through all the great times, and I'm going to serve you and be used by you through all the difficult times. And if I don't know the answers and I don't have all the solutions, God, I'm still, I still want to be a person who you can use, and I don't want to be blinded by my own affliction and my own problems and troubles and circumstances that I'm right smack dab in the middle of your will, and I just can't even see it. Because my problems are creating a haze through what I'm seeing things through. And I'm just missing this whole bigger picture that's outside of little old me and what's going on in my life. Isn't that something? I mean, he says that I'm going to go to the ends of the earth to reach one lost soul. Now, Paul, let's talk about him for a second because I love this story. He gets on this journey toward the end of later part of his ministry. And he, God speaks to him and he says, look, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem and there's affliction that's awaiting you. And that's kind of all he gives him. That's a great message, isn't it? He's like, you're going to go to Jerusalem and, oh, by the way, chains and tribulations await you. Huh. Good deal. All right. Not the one I would have picked, but okay. Um, So, but Paul's reaction is like, he says, I'm gonna, I, he says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, and I'm not going to deviate even though chains and tribulations await me. And he even says to the rest of the brethren who he's, who he's in community with, he's like, you're, never, you're actually never going to see me again. He knows that like, this is going to be toward the end. And, and they're weeping, and they're like, no, and they're trying to get him not to go. Don't do it you know, if you know bad things await you. And he's like, stop. You know, listen, I need to do what God has called me to do. I, I, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to. And so he heads to Jerusalem and he gets there. And of course, he starts ministering and speaking to people and uh, his Gentiles are getting saved. And then, of course, the Pharisees are freaking out about that because they're not Jewish. And so they want to kill Paul. And so all these things start to happen. Paul gets put in prison. He gets captured. Uh, he gets beaten 
really, really badly, and he's going to be put on trial. And so then he appears in front of like all of these governors, Festus and Felix, and all these governors of different provinces of Jerusalem of Israel. And the whole point is, is like all these things just keep happening to him that are like these terrible things, right? And then he finally says he's on trial for something that he's innocent of. I know somebody else that had that happen, right? And uh, he's on trial for something that he's innocent of, and. Then he, so he says, I appeal to Caesar. So what that means is that now Paul, because he's a citizen of Rome, he was born as a citizen of Rome, is that he is allowed a trial in, in, in Rome. So no matter what, nobody can do anything to him now because he's got to be sent to Rome to have a trial where he can, be, he can appear before uh, the judges and stuff to see if he's guilty or not. So he's on this course and all these things keep happening. And this is, this is where it gets interesting. So he gets on this boat, and they're going to take this ship, and they're going to head to uh, Rome, where Paul can go on trial. He's already been beaten. He's already been bound in chains. He's already been put in jail, you know, mocked, and all these other things. And he's on his way. He gets on this boat, and he tells the guys on the boat, look, we don't want to go. It's a bad time of year to sail. The winds are really bad. And they're like, you know, who are you? You're just a prisoner we'll take care of this. And so they decide to go and they're sailing on this ship across the Mediterranean headed for Rome. And this horrible storm comes up and the storm begins to beat against the ship and everybody in the ship is perishing. And Paul's kind of like, look, I told you. And uh, it's one of those, I told you so moments, right? So I'm pretty sure that's biblical. If you, you know, (laughs) I told you so. Um, No. So he, so the ship starts to get destroyed and they end up taking the little, the little uh, whatever that little boat is that saves people whenever the big ship goes down. <laughs> deep stuff. I'm real articulate here. And uh, so they take that little ship and they sail to this island, to this place where they see land. And they end up on this island called Malta. Malta. Like, where is Malta, right? And it's actually just down off the coast of Sicily, but it's this place that none of these guys have ever been. The point is, Malta is not at all on Paul's radar. How many things are on God's radar that aren't on our radar? But God's radar is the beacon that we need to be following, right? And so he gets Paul, through all these unfortunate circumstances, he gets them to this island called Malta. So let's read here. In Acts chapter 28, how this begins to unfold. And just remember, he's, we're getting put in unfortunate, awkward, inconvenient situations so that God can reach possibly one person. So verse 1 in chapter 28. So when they had escaped, this was from the ship, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Let's stop right there for a second. Seriously. I mean... I'm just going to level with you. If I'm Paul in this situation, I survived the shipwreck. I've been beaten. I've been tortured. God, use me. 
Take me where you want to go. I've been through all this stuff. The ship finally, we survive. We get to the island. We meet these, these uh, natives who've never heard the gospel. I'm all excited. All right. And all of a sudden, we're getting fire because it's freezing cold. And a snake jumps out and bites me in the hand. You've got to be kidding me. Are you serious? After everything that I've been through, after everything that I went, and now I'm going to get bit by a snake? And the natives are looking at this, but watch this. Watch this. The natives are looking at this very attentively because they think that Paul is cursed by God, and they're waiting for him to swell up from the venom and fall over dead. You guys ever been to like one of those restaurants and they have like those ghost peppers, you know, and who, you're always like, somebody, you're da- you're da- hey, I dare you to eat one of those things, right? I dare you. And there's always that one guy or gal, right, who eats one and then everybody's like, okay, just watch this. It's just, I promise you in a second he's going to freak, he's going to get real red and he's going to puke. Everybody's watching to see what happens. That's what's happening here. Paul gets bit by this snake and everybody's staring and watching to see what happens. But Paul, he's kind of like, unwavering right he's like whatever no big deal he shakes the snake off because he's so consumed with his mission he's so consumed with God is going to use me to do something there's a people here and he doesn't even pay no attention to this and when they see that nothing happens to Paul they realize oh my gosh like, there's something different about this guy. There's, he's actually not cursed. This guy is actually blessed. And that, all those circumstances got him all the way to this little island called Malta that was never on his radar. He would have never set sail there. It had to be a prisoner ship that launched, and it had to crash before they even got there. And then a snake bites him in the hand. And then finally, all of a sudden, the people are looking at him, and they say, we need, you, we need to take you to the ruler of this island because his father is very sick. He's a man named Publius, and his father is very, very ill, and he's laying on his deathbed. Paul says, all right, no big deal. Let's do that. So they go, and they, Paul goes to his father, and he prays for this guy. Boom, he's miraculously healed. Now think about this, guys. Think about this. This guy's been laying on his deathbed. How many days, how many weeks, I have no idea. He's been laying on his deathbed. They don't know Jesus. They're crying out to an unknown God. They're seeking some sort of answer. This guy's probably praying God would save his life. His son's probably praying. They don't have a solution. They don't have the answers. All of a sudden, some dude named Paul shows up on a prisoner ship that's wrecked, and he comes in, and he prays, and this man is healed. He's healed completely. After that, it says that they brought all of the people who were in the village. They brought all of them who were sick and who were hurting. They brought all of them to Paul, and every one of them, every last one of them were healed. I want you to think about this for a second. If I said to you, or God said to you, I want to use you to bring healing to a man who's on his deathbed, and that he's going to, he's going to meet me in his healing, and he's going to be saved, and all of the people in his family and all the people in his village are going to get saved too. I want to use you to do that. We'd probably be like, I think if any of us have love for Jesus in our heart, we'd all be like, sign me up. I'm ready. Now what if God said, oh, by the way, you're going to have to be beaten. 
you're going to have to be imprisoned. You're going to have to be put on trial for something you didn't do, mocked, spit on. You're going to have to get on a ship, and you're going to have to go through a shipwreck, and you're going to have to get on this little boat and make it to land before you have very little breath left. You're about ready to drown. And then, oh, yeah, you're going to have to actually get bit by a cobra, too. (laughs) Whoa, okay, I didn't sign up for that plan. I like the idea of the being used part. I like the idea of helping to reach this guy, but I'm not sure about all of that stuff, God. That's the point. See, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. He doesn't show us more than we're capable of bearing in the picture of his plan. He's just interested in getting us in positions where he can use us because there's other people outside of us who what we carry is exactly what they're craving and what they're looking for and what they need. But we would never willingly put ourselves in so many of these circumstances, and that is the point. But God looks on and he says, yes, they would never want to do this. They would never choose this for themselves, but they are capable, and they have enough faith, and they can endure, and they trust me. So I know in the midst of their affliction, I can still use them, and I can reach someone, one person, if it only be for one, we're going to go through all of this to get there Because it isn't about them, and it's not about this world. It's about eternity, and it's about my big plan to reach as many people as I possibly can. Isn't that something? And when we see that, guys, when we realize, okay, God, you're up to something that's so much bigger than me, and you're using me in my affliction to put me in position, and in my trial, to put me in places that... That's just the way, I, that's just how it's going to get me there. And I just need to be on the lookout and ready to still be used by you in any place or any situation that I come into. Because I just don't know who that person is that's been crying out to God, looking for an answer and looking for a solution. Their eternal soul and eternal salvation hangs in the balance of me getting in a place and getting in a position where God can just possibly use me. You say, Oh, you know, but I lost that job. Or maybe you say, you know, God, I've just been praying that you get me out of this job for so long. I can't stand it anymore. Well, what if God's saying, hey, hang in there. I got a job for you, but here's the deal. There's this guy or there's this woman that's getting ready to get hired there in a couple months, and she needs to know me, and she needs to feel my love. And the reality is right now, like, you're the only person in that environment who can do that for me. I need to keep you there for a while. I know it's not going to be convenient. I know it's not going to be comfortable. But I need to keep you there for a little longer because I've got this mission to reach this person. And I want to really use you to do that. And if you can see past your affliction and you can just trust me, then I am always going to keep my hand upon you and protect you and hold you up with my righteous right hand. If you'll trust that and know that, then you'll be in a position where I can use you to do a work in someone's life that I am desperately desiring to do. And then we lay ourselves down, we lay our own desires down so that we can lay hold of something greater. 
That's when Jesus says, he says, look, he who loses his life will gain it. He who gains his life will lose it. If we're trying to gain everything that we want, we're actually losing the greater things that God has planned for us. If we're just trying to lose our life, meaning I'll just surrender and let you have the reins, God, and you do what you want to do, then I'll actually gain something greater, which is to be used by God to do the things that he wants to do in and through me to ultimately build his kingdom, which is an eternal work that's far greater and surpassing than anything that happens here on this earth anyway. Does that make sense? So let's pray. Would you stand to your feet with me today? And I don't know, I hope this was encouraging to someone here this morning that I don't know what it is that you're going through and you perhaps can't make sense of it because you know that you're really seeking God and you're pursuing him, but there's still all these things that are happening around you that just seem like things aren't lining up the way that they're supposed to. You feel like perhaps God's just not showing up. He's just not there. He's just like, where is he at? I'm seeking him. I'm, I'm pursuing him. But like, man, all these things just keep happening to me. I want to encourage you today. You may not know the answers to those questions. But make no mistake about it. That God could very well be putting you in a place to reach one soul, one person who is perishing, who doesn't know Jesus. And if he could do that, he would go to the ends of the earth to reach that one lost, hurting, and dying soul. That's what we signed up for. That's a life of following Jesus. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll use you to reach people, to show my love to people who don't know me, who desperately need to see an authentic representation of my love and of who I am. And if we'll just allow God to use us and just, okay, Lord... I'll follow you in the good and I'll follow you in the bad. I'll stay with you in the good times and I'll stay with you in the bad times because you are able to still use me in my life through all of those situations. There's nothing conditional about the way he uses us in the circumstances that we go through.